2: You know, my favorite memories of being a child is waking up like early in the morning and grabbing a giant bowl of cereal and sitting in front of the TV. Of course, now I'm an old man. I can't be eating kids cereal anymore because it's all sugar and junk. Yeah. Guess what? Even adults can still enjoy some cereal now and then because of Magic Spoon.
1: Just like being a kid again. Thanks to Magic Spoon. Go to magicspoon.com slash milkshake to grab a variety pack and try it today. I really do love the peanut butter. And be sure to use our promo code MILKSHAKE at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. If you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash Use the code MILKSHAKE to save $5 off. Thank you so much, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode.
0: Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's.
1: Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer.
0: Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom?
2: Sorry, sorry, we're here.
0: We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. (gasps) No, Lucky Land Casino, with
1: cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky.
0: Play for free at luckylandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: Welcome to Metaphysical Milkshake, the show where we go deep, we get weird. And we search for the meaning of life along the way. Presented by Cast Media and Soul Pancake.
1: Hi, I'm Reza Aslan, and I'm Rain Wilson. And I am a good person. Pretty sure of yourself there. Well, I mean, I'm trying to be a good person. And that counts.
2: Does it?
1: Let's find out.
2: So, Rain, uh, you and I, you know, are united in this fundamental question that keeps us up at night, which is how do we be good people in the world? How, yeah. how, does some, how, do, you even, how do you even start? I mean, okay, don't lie, don't cheat, don't hurt people. That's easy. Yeah. But, like, how do you actively be good in the world?
1: I sure as hell don't know. I mean, we're all so complicated. Everything is in shades of gray. We're so flawed. Like, can you really be good? Every time I'm good or I think, oh, that was good, then I, in my head I kind of pat myself on the back or I kind of go, I wonder if people are witnessing me being good. And (laughs) then it immediately makes it bad. It doesn't count
2: anymore. Exactly. Boom.
1: Like, have I done (laughs) selfless acts, you know, without Any thought of recognition, reward, or
2: praise, uh, I don't know. I don't know that I have. have. I get it. Yeah. Or, I mean, you know, just to sort of like be hip and be with it as a progressive liberal, the very idea that there is an absolute good, you know— I'm a little uncomfortable with, like, I, I, I think there is, like, I, if you were to ask me, like, is there absolute good and absolute evil? Yeah, yeah, there, there is. But then, you well, know, then
1: you're talking about defining what good is, because is good is is good, something that we define culturally. Um, is it something that we have instinctually? A lot of people say we have a, you know, an instinct for good. It's in our DNA. It's in the wiring of our brains. We we have an impulse toward good that doesn't come from any divine source. Then a lot of people would argue, well, good comes from God. You know, they're, yeah. they're the same word, good God, and um, uh, that morality. You know, the Ten Commandments. Let's say those are God given, and we should. Follow them because they come from our creator, as opposed to this just makes the most sense for a society. So how do you
2: yeah. how do you uh, shift between you know what, those things? You know what I, what would help actually? What somebody should invent some kind of app or whatever that mm-hmm. just sort of gives you points every time you do something good, right. and takes away points every time you do something bad. That's an amazing idea.
1: Someone should document that in a documentary
2: television show. Something about that feels familiar. familiar. What is it? What is it? Oh, right. One of my favorite shows on television, The Good Place. The
1: Good Place with our good friend Mike Schur, the uh, creator of The Good Place. I worked with him on The Office. That must have been fun. He's amazing. He is so funny and very generous, big-hearted, big ideas. He was uh, an executive producer in The Office. Then he co-created Parks and Recreation. One of the best. And Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And now he's wrapping up the final season of said show, The Good Place.
2: And the the reason we wanted to bring him here is that one of the things about The Good Place is that it really tackles with this issue of moral philosophy. What does it mean to be good? What does it mean to be bad? It does it in a 30-minute sitcom format. So it's it's fantastic that he's managed to even— uh, put this out there you know in in the in the public space and yep. and have people enjoy it but there's something very serious underneath this yep. which is very much this notion of in a complicated complex weirdly interconnected world yep. can any action truly be good or bad
1: yeah it's uh is I can't. I can't even wrap my head around it. So maybe Mike can help
2: us Jesus, wrap our I heads around so. this. Oh, oh. you know, you were in trouble when we bring in a Hollywood writer to help explain the world to us.
1: You know this. We need a latte sipping, <laughs> Tesla driving, Goat arrogant, uh, elitist to come in and show us the way.
2: And fortunately, we have one.
1: Hey, Mike Shorer, everybody.
3: I, I'm an extreme rule follower and have always been an extreme mm-hmm. rule follower. And I this is not a joke. I was the kid who at uh, in college, there was like a noise ordinance or whatever that was like you have to you know, parties have to end at midnight. And it, if I was at a party at like twelve oh five if the music was still really loud, I would quietly go over and like turn it down. <laughs> <laughs> because, you were that guy yeah, even if it wasn't my room because I was like, we're gonna get in trouble. We're breaking the rule. And so you can imagine I was a lot of fun uh, in college. <laughs> but i I just was like, if there's a rule, then you should follow the rule. That has what? always been the way. Where did I that come
2: from? And, is it were you did you come from a religious background? No,
3: no, oh. not at all religious. Mm-hmm. I, I went to a Unitarian church occasionally mm-hmm. and when I was growing up like, fake
2: fake religion fake yeah. religion
3: or like oh like, let's hang out religion. Let's just hang out and talk about uh, stuff. Yeah. Um but I it was just the my sort of internal compass setting was was that, was like follow rules. Like I, I, I my wife makes fun of me a lot because I rinse my mouth with mouthwash every night and I do it for 30 seconds, which is a really long time because on the label, it says use for 30 seconds. That's
1: (laughs) fantastic. Yeah. And
3: like, I was like, well, they, you know, so that's just, that's always been the kind of person I have been is a extreme rule follower. So as I've gone through life, I am very upset when people don't follow rules. When people feel like these rules don't apply to me, I'm special. I don't have to do this. I, I, can do the, I can cut the line, I can cut a corner, I, can, uh, I don't have to obey the rules that we as a society have established. And so I was driving in my car on the 101 and a guy pulled out into the breakdown lane and just whizzed past everybody. And I did a thing um, that I have done a lot in my life, which is I imagine that someone's keeping score and that guy just lost 20 points. Mm-hmm. Like it mm. was a point in my head. It was a point system. Like that guy just lost 20 points. And then on this one occasion, um, parks and recreation was, if
1: it's only 20 points, you lose from doing that. I'm going to do that <laughs> totally every day. Totally <laughs> worth it. So worth but, it.
3: But you have to think like in my point system, you have to think like, okay, you know, uh, murder is a million or something, okay. right? There's a, there's a okay. scale here, right? Sure. It's like, it's not, he's not murdering anyone. Mm-hmm. He has just decided, this guy has just decided like, yes, I know everyone else has to sit here in traffic, yeah. but I don't because F- I'm special. Guys. Yeah. 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 So parks and rec was winding down on this particular occasion. When I did this thing, I had done a number of times before. And then I suddenly was like, well, wait a second maybe there is a, an actual big idea there that 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 is the way that it happens that someone is just keeping score it's just math it's moneyball mm-hmm. it's not religious it's not there's no uh, deity it's just a system that determines the point value of moral actions of ethical decisions and maybe that is a show and maybe and then very quickly things sort of tumbled on top of right. each other then it was like okay only the top 5% get in because it's a really elitist system and then maybe someone gets in who shouldn't be there and then it just sort of it it just kind of it, it all kind of unfolded that in a way fantastic. and i think it i think it unfolded as quickly as it did for me because i had been thinking that way my whole life like i so that it wasn't guy a new that thought. guy
1: who went down the the shoulder of the road he got 5000 points because he gave you that idea <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: well so. someone i was i was speaking with Will Harper who plays Cheedy uh, at an event in Boston at WBUR recently, and someone asked me a question I've never gotten before, which was, "Do you think that coming up with this system that is very judgy and is basically saying like I like I have I have uh, identified like a, a system of uh, judging other people for their moral decisions?" Do you think that that action has cost you points in your life? Like, <laughs> do you think that you're you're going to be punished for this? And I was like, Oh my god, I've what? never thought about. And what, that. what
1: was your answer? What I, do you
3: think? I, I sort of gasped
1: and was like, maybe. <laughs> you're maybe, screwed."
3: Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, you know what's interesting about this is that it, there is a long history behind it. Um, the the very concept of a heaven and hell is actually. Kind of a new idea. It's barely about three thousand years old right. or so. You know, before then, it was basically like if you died, you would just go on to the next life, and you would continue to be whatever you were in this life. Like morality had nothing to to do with it. And then uh, the first the first person that we know. Uh, in recorded history, who kind of came up with this idea that no, no, the, the moral actions that you do on this life actually uh, dictate what happens to you in the next life um, was the Persian prophet Zarathustra. and he had something similar. he He had it a, 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 like a threefold formula. It was good words, good thoughts, good deeds. Mm-hmm versus bad words, bad thoughts, bad deeds. And he literally thought that it was a scale. Yep. That like at the end you show up and there's this there's, there's God and he's got a scale and he puts all your good words, thoughts and actions on one side, your bad words, thoughts and actions on the other and it just wherever it it tipped, that's right. what happened. You either went to heaven or you went to hell. So this this is an old yeah. idea. It's it's it's, it's an of,
3: ancient idea. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Michael, the character Ted Danson plays is named Michael because my wife and I, for a 10 year anniversary, went to Paris and we were looking at Notre Dame and there's stonework at the top of the main entrance of Notre Dame. And the stonework just shows the archangel Michael, who was in charge in the Catholic religion of weighing people's souls in, the, in a mm-hmm. similar fashion. And to his right, the uh, the sinners are slowly descending to hell and to his left, they're slowly rising up to heaven and i hadn't figured out what the character's name would be uh until i saw that and i was like oh that's his name should be michael and because of that faithful decision uh everyone has assumed that i named the character after myself <laughs> and it's been very hard to convince <laughs> you, people that you it, are the judge yeah, yeah. but it, there's a wonderful book i read a lot of books uh, over the course of the show in preparation to write it and then while writing it and Megan Amram, who is one of the writers on the show, said there's this great book we got to read. It's it's called The Penguin Book of Hell, and it's just a it's a number of ancient sort of um, descriptions of how how ancient prophets, ancient thinkers described what they thought hell was and, and uh, it's really wonderful and it, it's sort of in bite-sized nuggets. There's little introductions that explain it, and then you get the actual text. And I think it's Socrates had this wonderful vision of it where When you die, you basically are like drowning in a river for like a year and you're forced to think about all of the things that you've done and all of the people you've hurt in your life and all of the bad actions that you've done. And you basically pop up after a year and you have to beg for forgiveness from the people you've hurt and they get to decide. Like, hmm. are you sincere? And if Do they f- don't, you go back into the river? And if they don't, back into the river, there maybe. You go. And you got to think for another year. And then wow. You can- so yes, in the ancient world, there are dozens and dozens of different sort of variations on a theme about what it means to have done bad things and then to how to how to sort of get out of them, how to, free- how to like come to a place of forgiveness, either from God or from your fellow humans. And um, it was like the best thing about making this show for the last five years now has been reading all of that stuff. Like, it's just endlessly fascinating to me. And you're the first TV show that has a philosophy professor on staff.
1: This is (laughs) fascinating that you started, when you were starting the show, preparing the show, you spoke to uh, Pamela Hieronymi. Yeah. Yeah. um, uh, About ethics and morality. You had a conversation that lasted for for three hours. This was about uh, intention and motivation and how that colors our moral behavior. Yeah. And, um... So uh, t- tell me about that initial conversation and what Professor Hieronymy brings to the show.
3: I sat down with her and I explained the idea of the show. And I said, it's basically about a bunch of people who weren't really great people on Earth for a variety of different reasons. But they get to this place, and then they, their mission is to try to become good people. And she said, well, that's impossible. Mm-hmm. And I said, why? And she said, well, because most great moral philosophers would tell you that you can't try to be good, it's impossible. Uh, and I said, well, that's very bad news for me because I've made a very large bet in my professional (laughs) life that it is possible. Uh, and I said, did anyone.
1: No. Okay. okay, Can we slow down a little bit? How can you not try to be good? Well, I, so... I've experienced this in my life where it's like I've been a jackass for a extended period of time. I know. And then I yeah, – right? You experienced <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. And then it a little taste. <laughs> um, and then I've tried to be a better person and try to be less of a jackass.
2: You know, folks, part of the reason why Rain and I do this podcast, Metaphysical Milkshake, is because we love to think. We love to learn. And, you know, there's like – so many streaming services right now that are available whose entire purpose is to quote, turn your brains off, you know, like mindless entertainment, stuff like that. But thankfully, there's Wandrium. We love Wandrium. It's the streaming service that absolutely blows our minds.
1: Wandrium has thousands of audio and video learning experiences to feed our curiosity. Wondrium's content is fun and exciting and gives us access to a world of knowledge from top experts and storytellers with documentaries, tutorials, and collections from Kino Lorber, Magellan TV, and Craftsy. There's so many cool programs to check out. Reza, tell them what you can find on Wondrium.
2: Well, it's like being back in school again. Remember how fun it was to be back in school and to learn stuff all the time? Mm -hmm. Uh, There are so many cool programs on Wondrium to check out. Like There's Think Like a Stoic. That's a great one.
1: They've got uh, great revolutions of modern history. I mean, there have been so many revolutions. It's hard to keep up with the revolutions. Russian Revolution, French, Iranian, you know something about that.
2: I lived through that one.
1: But I learned so much that I didn't know. It is absolutely a must watch.
2: So join us and experience your own mind-blowing moments with Wandrium. Right now, our listeners can get this special offer, a free trial of unlimited access to the entire world library. Wow, that's huge. So go now to Wondrium.com slash milkshake to sign up. That's W-O-N-D-R-I-U-M.com slash milkshake. com slash milkshake. Keep learning, folks. Monk Pack,
1: Monk Pack, brought to you by Monk Pack. Healthy snacks have a bad reputation, and for a very good reason, because most of them taste like crap. So this episode of Metaphysical Milkshake. Is sponsored by Monk Pack, who makes snacks that taste like our favorite sugary treats, but with one gram of sugar or less. They're great for anyone following a keto lifestyle, but also the perfect snack
2: for anyone who's trying to eat better. They sent me two giant boxes. I got one medium box. What what is up with that? I think they know that I have a gigantic family. And by the way, it was good because it was like wolves- Just like tearing into the box. Everybody got their favorite flavors. Mine was the coconut cocoa one. And there's peanut butter, blueberry, almond, vanilla. I'm telling you, I'm obsessed with these bars. Basically, I don't eat lunch anymore. I just grab a Monk Pack instead.
1: We have a special deal for our listeners. Get 20% off your first purchase of any Monk Pack product by visiting MonkPack.com and entering our code Guess what our code is, Reza?
2: I'm going to guess it has something to do with Milkshake.
1: You got it. How'd you know? It is Milkshake, and enter that code at checkout. Monk Pack is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% satisfaction guarantee. And if you don't like it for any reason,
2: they'll exchange the product or refund your money, whichever you prefer. So to get started, just go to MonkPack.com, select any product, then enter the code MILKSHAKE at the checkout you're going to save 20% off your purchase. Monk Pack, delicious, nutritious food you can count on. And we thank them for sponsoring this podcast.
3: Well, this is, the, it's a little bit uh, misleading to say, when, when we say you can't try to be good, what it means to you and me is different from what it means to a moral philosopher. The way that she explained it to me was, I could say to you, Rain, um, I will give you a million dollars if you believe that... Um, Zendaya is the president of the United States. If you can believe that, I will give you a million dollars and you can try really hard. You can wake up every day and say Zendaya is the president and you can like make leaflets to say reelect Zendaya 2020 or whatever, (laughs) but you will never actually believe it because you know internally that it's not uh, the truth. And so trying to become good is like if you're not a good person, trying to become good is just you're getting asymptotically closer to being good but you'll never actually be good that's the sort of explanation that she gave me and i said well okay is there anyone who be- who ever believed that you can try to be good and she said well sort of aristotle and i was like great that's my guy
2: <laughs> i'm going with I- that i got one guy
3: yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so she talked to me very graciously for three hours and she led me through she assigned me reading basically i said like what do i need to read she was a disciple of a philosopher named Tim Scanlon, who is a, a emeritus professor at Harvard. And he wrote a book called What We Owe to Each Other that has become really, really important for the show. And basically, he said, if you're start, he's sort of a, a, a colleague and disciple of John Rawls, who's sort of the great sort of social contract theorist of the last uh, infinite amount of time. And what Scanlon said was. The way that you establish your rules in a society, if you have to establish rules, is you have everyone sits around a table and everybody has a veto. Anyone can veto any rule and you propose a rule. And if any reasonable person sitting at the table can't reject your rule, then that means it's a good rule. So it's basically a set. It's like setting a bare minimum of what everybody that you need to agree to rules with can't reasonably reject. And it's a really lovely idea. It's a very simple idea. The book is not simple. The book is very complicated. <laughs> but the central idea was we all have to get along. We all have to share this little spot of earth that we're that we're sharing. And so the way to determine how to share it and how to set up rules is if you is if no one else you pitch a rule and no one says, Yeah, that rule stinks. So if I said, if we were sitting around a room and I said, you know, I think people named Mike should get uh, more money than people named Rain. You would very reasonably say, "Well, that that's not fair." That's- I think you won. Well, so
2: people won would that. be like, "There's nobody named Rain. What kind of stupid <laughs> name is that?" Right. Everyone Next else going to be telling me
1: he owns a donkey.
3: <laughs> Everyone else would agree to it because for they would yeah. say, "Like, who cares if people named Rain get screwed?" Yeah. Um, I read a distillation actually of that book and was like, "Okay, this woman is right on the money in terms of the kinds of stuff we're talking about on this show." And I basically said, "Can we sort of put you on retainer?" And when we need help, we'll call you. And so she's come in. She, and, and I did this with another guy named Todd May who teaches at Clemson. And um, and when we were stuck or we just wanted to like investigate something, we would call them and they would either come in. Pam came in and taught us the trolley problem, which was really fun, which we turned into a whole episode. That's if you would throw someone off a... Train or the, something. Like that. You, the trolley problem is sort of the most famous philosophical thought experiment. It was invented by a woman named Philippa Foot in the mid '60s. It was a British philosopher, and the basic formulation is: um, if you don't know, is um, you're on a trolley and the brakes fail, and the trolley's going to run over five people and kill them, and there's a lever that you can pull that will switch tracks and go onto another track, and there it will kill one person. What do you do? And most people say, well. It's better that one, only one person dies than if five people die. So, yeah, I'd pull the lever. And then there's infinite variation. She says, what if you're the driver of the trolley and you're contracted to this is your job? Does that change the calculation? What if um, you know one of the people? Does that change the calculation? What if you are a surgeon and there is a, uh, a man who's going to die uh, unless he gets, uh, uh, there's five people, sorry, who are going to die unless they get organ transplants. One of them needs a liver. One of them needs a heart. One of them needs a, two kidneys, whatever. And, and they're all going to die. And outside there's a janitor who's perfectly healthy, minding his business, sweeping up. Is it permissible to kill him? and harvest his organs, and then put the liver in the one guy who needs a liver and the heart. And the it o- just goes on and on and right. on. Right, and, and the fun of it or what is... what if the five people were senior citizens and the one person was a toddler? <laughs> exactly. And so the fun of the trolley problem isn't that there's an answer. The fun of it is to show you that your sort of moral calculations are fluid. That when you say, yes, it's permissible to pull the lever and kill that one guy, you are inconsistent, because later you'll say, well, no, it's not permissible to kill that janitor. That's insane. But it's still killing one person to save five people. And so it's it's a wonderful thought experiment. It's become this kind of litmus test for people to figure out where their moral sense is and how it shifts and changes given different sort of calculations and stuff.
2: Um, the trolley problem actually gets to the central theme of the show and so much of what we've been talking about, which is are there moral absolutes yeah. or is everything in flux? And the, the sort of the theology of the show, right? The idea of the good place is that no, there are more absolutes. Everything literally has a, a score to it and yeah. it's just math and it's either right or it's wrong. And there is no gray area. Right. Um, you're either good or you're not good. Um, and, of course the the conflict is in trying to challenge that with you know these four characters who are not that great and who are trying to be better and you know is there some gray area where do you land as a <laughs> as a person because i mean it seems you were t- describing how you were always a rule uh keeper yeah. which makes me think okay well then you you must be some kind of you some know moral kantian, absolutist yeah. yeah some yeah some <clears throat> kantian uh dude um Obviously, you've injected so much life into these characters who represent the opposite. Yeah. Um, wh- where do you land?
3: Well, I, ironically, um, I land very far away from rule following in terms of my own personal feelings about about morality. The The rule followers are the Kantians or the deontological followers who, was, who say basically every situation, there's a rule. Mm-hmm. You got to figure out what the rule is and then you gotta follow the rule, end of story. Kant is so intense about this stuff. He, he Kant believes um, someone's trying to kill your brother and um, your brother runs to your house and says, you gotta hide me, uh, cause this guy's trying to kill me. Then the killer comes to your door and says, uh, where's your brother? I'm trying to kill him. Kant says, you're not allowed to lie to that guy. Lying is so bad for him that you're not allowed to say, I have no idea where he is. Hmm. Now you are allowed to say on a technicality, uh jeez you know yesterday i saw him down the street at the grocery store
0: mm.
3: maybe i don't know maybe check there you're allowed to cut you're allowed to say things that are not true but aren't lies or at least aren't the full truth right um kant uh people who love kant Really love Kant. People are Mm -hmm. super, super into him because I can't stand him. (laughs) (laughs) Classic. He (laughs) he's uh, he's promising you something very tantalizing. He is promising you that you can figure out the answer, whatever the situation is. There's an answer. You you figure out what the what the rule is, and you follow the rule. That's a very appealing idea. I th- also think it's kind of absurd. So I'm out on on them. Right. Yeah. I- I'm out on the. You are I'm not a Kantian. I'm not a Kantian. The, another You'd be school like of what thought,
2: brother? I don't even have a brother.
3: Yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. I would yeah. say you've you've got the wrong house, buddy. Um, another school of thought is the consequentialists. Right. Who are like, it doesn't matter. It, the only thing that matters is the results. Like the, the right action is the one that leads to the best results. So the most pleasure or happiness and the least pain and suffering Mm -hmm. and utilitarianism utilitarianism yes and so you do whatever the thing is that gives you the best results the problem with that is you get into these really dicey situations where it's like okay what if you could torture one innocent person to save the lives of a hundred or five hundred or a million other people well that doesn't seem like a good system right if innocent people could be it's sort of like the lottery that shirley jackson story or whatever and the way that the consequentialists answer that question is, well, you're you're not calculating right. You're not calculating the amount of pleasure or happiness and sadness correctly. Because if you had to live in a society where you knew that at any moment you could be tortured as an innocent person uh, in order to save the lives of others, you would be, live in fear and, and misery all the time. I don't know. I buy that. I don't think I buy that argument. And so I end up personally being more in the Aristotle world. Aristotle's thing was loosely called virtue ethics. And basically what he says is, look, there are certain virtues we all agree are good things, right? Uh, kindness and generosity. Honesty. And humility, honesty and humility compassion. and whatever. So the goal is to just practice those things uh, as well as you can. And, the, and he does literally think of it as practice. He thinks of it like playing the flute or something. Like the more you play the flute, the better you get the more you practice honesty and courage. But that's what I'm virtuosity. talking about,
1: trying to be good. Yes. Mm-hmm. You can develop these qualities. Like which a is, muscle. And yeah. many spiritual traditions would say these are qualities of the divine. Right. And that they, these are the qualities we're trying to inspire instill and still sure. grow within us. And
3: honestly, I don't know that it matters whether, where wh- whence comes the, those virtues mm-hmm. personally. I think if you if you, if you think of them as things that have been divinely given in whatever faith you follow, great. Or if, if it's just common, societal, just common I sense, societal common sense, I like it. And when
1: other people are right. Social kind.
3: Yes. Yeah. And, and so Aristotle says, uh, look, Kurt, let's take courage, right? Courage is generally thought of as a good virtue if you have the, if you don't have enough courage and you go into battle, you'll shrink in fear and run away and desert your army and your friends. If you have too much courage, you'll say, uh, "Let me at him," and you'll charge over the hill by yourself and you'll get slaughtered. So somewhere in the middle is the exact median, the exact right amount of courage, and so that's what he's striving at, and what he wants us to strive at is the exact right amount of all of these virtues, and the practice is testing it's trial and error and you try x thing and you try y thing and eventually you sort of hone in on what the right amount of all these virtues is and that's sort of where i end up i think if if, if i'm uh, sort of particular to any of these major schools of thought that's the one that i think i'm closest mm. to
2: mm. hey rain have you ever had one of those ideas that you just don't know how to get started on making into a reality
1: so many reza so many a rock opera about my life an electric pogo stick.
2: If you've been procrastinating on any of those genius ideas, guess what? You're not alone. Experts say that not knowing how or where to start is one of the biggest causes of procrastination.
1: Okay, so why are we talking about procrastination? Because we're here to promote the Blinkist app. Blinkist, B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, takes nonfiction books – pulls out the key takeaways, and puts them into text and audio explainers called Blinks that you can learn from in just 15 minutes. You can use Blinks to learn about how to tackle procrastination,
2: you see? They have blinked thousands of titles in like 27 categories, and they're all ready to learn in just 15 minutes. You can learn while you're washing dishes or working out, which I do all the time, obviously. Or if you're winding down and hanging out on the couch, which I never do.
1: Listen, our time is limited. You're not able to necessarily read every single book that comes out. But you want them distilled, right? Books that people are talking about, like Hillbilly Elegy or How to Be an Anti-Racist. People are talking about these books all the time. Maybe you don't have time to read them. You probably should read them. But if you can't get the Blink version of these best-selling
2: titles. Here's the best part. Right now, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. No one else gets this, folks. Go to Blinkist.com slash Milkshake. You can start your free seven-day trial and you can also get 25% off of Blinkist Premium Membership. That's Blinkist, and it's spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash Milkshake. off and a 7 day free trial Blinkist.com slash milkshake what are you waiting for
0: pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks oh yeah that's me nothing extra just perfection and a straw coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block because there are drinks then there are drinks from McDonald's
1: mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49 perfect with our classic fries Price and participation may vary, cannot be combined with any other offer.
3: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper?
1: Good versus evil is dealt with a lot in your show, not necessarily in a religious context. But one of the kind of big moral questions around good and evil is you have this kind of uh, Catholic tradition and even Islamic where there is a devil or a Satan. Mm -hmm. Um, There is a source of evil just as there is a source of good. I think isn't that Zoroastrian as well Mm -hmm. that there's you know, the good God and the evil right. God. And uh, and there's a constant battle between the two of them. Yeah. Um, versus the idea that evil is simply an absence of good. So evil being more like darkness. Yeah. Where a light bulb is on and in the shadowy corners, evil can exist because the light doesn't reach there. How, how do you incorporate
3: that into your belief system and into the belief system of the good place? Part of what the show has done is... Um, in, in, over the last couple of years, especially, is it has basically tried to fight against the simplicity. Right. In the, the characters in the show um, have determined that the actual point system that's being used on the show is garbage. And the reason it's garbage is in the old days, a long, long, long time ago you do something nice for your friend you your it's your friend's birthday and you get your friend a present and you you there's a garden outside your house and you cut the flowers and you bring them over to your friend and you say happy birthday well that's worth 58 points right in the modern world it's your friend's birthday and you use your smartphone to go to a website and you order the flowers for your friend and have them delivered but the cell phone was made in a sweatshop in china and the website is owned by some international conglomerate that is like screwing over its employees and you're using electricity which is burning coal which is putting particulates into the, and the atmosphere the flowers
1: are grown in some
3: the flowers flower are grown in Chile and, and yeah, they and the, car- and the carbon footprint of shipping them from in the water used to grow them is so what used to be 58 points or whatever is now like you're losing 7 points because the impact of your actions in the modern world is enormous and And that is why in the world of the show, we found out last year, no one has actually gotten into the good place in 500 years. And it's because there's no such thing as simplicity anymore. The world is too connected and the ripple effects of your actions are essentially infinite. Like you, you don't do anything big or small that doesn't affect a number of other people. And so that's been a big part of what we've been arguing on the show is that like, that in that that any kind of system that tries to evaluate moral worth in the modern era forget it man you're you're screwed basically this is where we've ended up if you try to be a good person no matter how hard you try no matter how conscientious you you are you're going to fail mm-hmm. because you're going to do things that you don't even know are bad and you're going to think maybe you're doing good you're yeah. going to eat a sandwich from a restaurant and then you're going to find out the next day that that restaurant hates gay people. (laughs) Like literally every, the guy who owns the restaurant hates gay people. And so you have just given that guy four bucks to get your chicken sandwich, right? And that's not your fault. You didn't know. And it's not reasonable to expect people in, with the complexity of the modern world, to know everything that they're doing. It's literally impossible. And so the important thing for us ends up being that you're trying that you are attempting, that you're conscientious, that mm-hmm. you're think you're not complacent, and that when you find out, oh, this uh this fried chicken chain hates gay people. If you don't hate gay people, uh, then you shouldn't go there anymore. Right? Like you and and the argue- the counter argument ends up being, well, every place is terrible, every restaurant's terrible, every company's terrible, blah 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 blah. Uh, so you're gonna fail again. And our response is, yeah, you are. And then you gotta try again. Like you gotta go to a different. If you want a chicken sandwich, go to someplace else. And then mm-hmm. if you find out that that place also hates gay people or hates Mexican people or something, don't go to that one anymore. I just mean, after just keep all, you're,
1: you're making a TV show for the National Broadcasting Corporation so that they can show commercials and they can yeah. sell more Cars that pollute the environment and and et cetera, like that. So, your show itself is part of the, is a
3: cog in this greater system. I am failing all the time, as is everyone. As a moral agent in the universe, everyone is failing all the time.
2: Could you give us an example of a a time in your recent past where? Um, you know, you came to these kinds of crossroads, and it was all about trying to be good. And maybe tell us about a, a time in which you succeeded, and maybe a time that you didn't succeed. <laughs> well, the time I the time I think I succeeded was
3: was this exact the argument I gave a second ago of um, of Chick fil A is the company, mm-hmm. right? The Chick mm-hmm. the owner of Chick fil A is came out a while ago and made yeah. incredibly disparaging comments about the LGBTQIA plus community. I've never eaten a Chick-fil-A sandwich in my life. I'm a vegetarian and have been for a while now. So, I And, and even before that, uh, I've never eaten a Chick-fil-A sandwich. I just never got around to it. Then that guy comes out and says all these stupid things about uh, the LGBTQIA plus community. And I was like, all right, well, no one should eat there anymore. And a bunch of people that I work with and whose opinions I greatly respect and I think of as very progressive smart thoughtful conscientious people were like but it's so good there's (laughs) there's pickles you had a joke in
2: in the in the show (laughs) yeah there's a
3: great joke we put it into the show and and i i could not believe i was having this argument i was like guys he's a monster that guy sucks like don't go don't give him money and they tried every argument they tried well what about the employees of the company and i was like yeah that does hurt but like you you your vote is with your money like you get to vote whether or not to support that guy they can go to popeyes there you go and get a sandwich and 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 then the the next argument is well yeah if we go to popeyes what if we find out in a couple weeks that the guy who who has a like a child uh, trafficking ring or something i was like then don't go to popeyes anymore like this isn't (laughs) to me this isn't hard and the the idea that you're gonna fail by doing something else, and so you should never try to do, you should never change your behavior at all, is reductive and stupid. It's like, you, you still got to try. Like, just try. Keep trying. Like, keep trying to find the right place.
2: Okay, but have you had your own personal Chick-fil-A sandwich moment? I mean, yeah, that's honestly kind of easy for you because, all right, don't go to Chick-fil-A. You don't right? eat meat anyway, so who gives a shit? But... <laughs> but I'm curious if you've had that moment where you know whatever the Chick Fil A sandwich is was just, it was too good. You know. Oh, I I should. I'm I'm taking the wrong path here. I mean, I'm sure
3: I have. Let me try to think offhand. Um, Well, what about working in the television industry?
2: Yeah, I mean mean, that's that's that's
3: the biggest one, right? I mean, look, I I created a co-created a show with my friend Dan Gore called Brooklyn Nine Nine, and it airs on Fox. Fox. uh, Fox, I don't know if you know this, is owned by Rupert Murdoch. Yeah, Or at least was. It's not anymore. It's now he's the guy from Succession, yeah, but Lachlan right? <laughs> is just as worse. He, I mean, he's so, just as bad, I mean. So, I, uh, so a while ago, an, I haven't, I, I haven't, I haven't day-to-day worked on that show since season two, really. I'm still involved in that I read scripts and I talk to Dan a lot and whatever, and, but, like, I, I haven't actually worked there. But it's still, like, I created that show with him, right? And I don't think there's a more destructive force in American society than Fox News. I think that Fox and News- and globally has, Murdoch and I globally mean, yeah. Murdoch, sure. Um, at least in terms of media, like I think Fox News is is when we talk about how striated the culture is and how divisive the culture all is. And everything, started there. It is. There's no single thing you can point to more than Fox right. News. Fox News it's has turned evil. A, evil has turned a lot of people into like into unthinking um, reactionary zombies who believe that, um, that anyone who is not a white man over the age of 50 is coming to murder them. And, um, so I had a day to day, week to week, month to month, year to year, pang of of conscious, like anguish about the fact that I was working for that company and, and drawing money from that company. And I, and there's sort of and then again, you, you start doing the calculation, right? You think like, OK, well, that show features a character who is an African-American gay man who is who's uh, in charge, who's in charge. Yeah. And mm-hmm. the second in charge is another African-American man played by Terry Crews, the delightful Terry Crews. And it has two Latinx uh, female detectives who are awesome, who are in two very different ways. One of them is just a total shit-kicking awesome superhero, and one of them is like the smartest detective at the force, and the person who is the is the best at her job of anyone probably. And so, what is the calculation, right? This is where the point system comes in. Like, am I doing? Mm. Am I doing enough? Are we doing enough? Mm -hmm. Yes, are we doing enough to counterbalance the fact that Fox is making money off of this by putting on screen a number of people who can serve as representatives and role models for people who have been traditionally underrepresented on television i don't know maybe it's impossible to tell we don't have the omniscient calculator that the show has to say like yes this you gain eight points for this and lose six points for this or whatever.
2: My brother-in-law is a pastor, and um, you know he has this statement that really hit me hard. He said, basically, you are what you do. If you do good, or at least strive to do good, you're good. Mm-hmm. If you strive to do evil, you're evil. Mm-hmm. It's not complicated. So I love this idea of just being good or not good is less a sort of a uh, philosophical slippery problem about the nature of humanity, and just more. Well, what do you do? Right. I mean, do you go out there and you try your best, and try to do good, or not? And that's kind of all there is to it.
3: Yeah, that is that is it's a, it's another way of saying I think the same thing, right? It's like you're you're confronted with a thousand decisions a day, and if you just take one second and think about well. The way I think of it is four questions in every decision you make. What am I doing? Why am I doing it? Is there something I could do that's better? And what is that thing? And if you just sort of apply those basic questions to your actions and and then try to live that way, you're you'll become a good person or at least a better person than you were before. And my point, ultimately, the sort of umbrella point is, the important thing is the asking of those questions. I think the danger that we fall into, in my opinion, is when you stop asking those questions. The complacency. When, yes, yeah. it's complacency. It's when you yeah. start acting on autopilot and not thinking about what you're doing. And by the way, the reason it's hard to change your behavior is because it's embarrassing to find out you've been doing something bad. When when you confront someone and say, hey, this thing you're doing, eating that chicken sandwich, it's bad, it's, it's helping this guy who's a, who's a bad guy, it's embarrassing. No mm-hmm. one wants to think of him or herself as a person who does bad things. And so we're, our, we have this, there's a thing called the backfire effect that kicks in psychologically, which is when people find out that they've been doing something bad, if it's a, especially if it's like a core value, if they get new information, they don't change their behavior and admit they're wrong. They double down they go no it's actually good that i'm doing this and i'm going to go back and do it more yeah. and like it's, this they is, is the found reason that
1: with uh, climate change deniers yes exactly when confronted with it, the real science they, they actually double down they double
3: down them. and yeah. so the, it's and i think part of the reason is it's embarrassing to think of yourself mm-hmm. as a person who does bad things and so the the important thing i really believe this is asking those questions
1: Mike Sure, this has been an amazing conversation. We end each session with what we call the lightning round, and we want a short, rapid-fire <laughs> answer to them. Great, Did you that get the short part. <laughs> is pithy, short, funny, inspiring, and uh, thought-provoking. Ready, go. Easy. You
2: will be morally judged. Oh, great! By these
3: answers. I Mike Sure. When do you feel most connected with the universe? Uh, right before I go to sleep.
2: What makes you laugh out loud?
3: Rain is pointing to himself. I'll say Rain Wilson's performance on The Office.
2: Oh! Thank you. You win. He is really angling for a job. Describe
3: your soul in 10 words or less. Flawed, but in the process of working out its flaws. I hope that was 10 fewer words. I think you did it. Okay.
2: What's your biggest fear?
3: Dying before I have the chance to write everything and do everything that I want to do. What is one thing you hate? Uh, hypocrisy.
2: When was the last time you ugly cried? <laughs>
3: um, can I, can I request permission to to give a little background? Yes, on that? yes. Okay. you can take so, your time. So uh, it's a known phenomenon, uh, amongst a lot of people, I think that you tend to cry more when you watch movies on airplanes yes. you know this phenomenon right yes <laughs> for some reason some people say it's the thinner oxygen other people say it's cuz your your body is already like a little bit afraid all the time or whatever but it's very common thing right so um i watched the movie interstellar on a plane which i'd never seen before and for some reason i i just sobbed i like i sobbed like i didn't even Truth be told, like the movie that much. <laughs> but I sobbed at the end of that yeah, movie at the really end hard. Of it, yeah. And then I knew there was something weird because I then watched Anchorman 2 right afterwards and also cried <laughs> at Anchorman 2. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Some, you, were, you were on something. What
1: is one thing you know for sure? No pun intended.
3: <laughs> um that given the choice between being kind and being cruel most people will be kind
2: and then finally what is your life's big question
0: oh
3: man um well i mean given the fact that i've been writing this show for four years i think the big question the one big question should be if we are judged by anyone or anything at the end of our lives what is the basis of that judgment Is it our actions or our thoughts, or are we graded on a curve based on where we were born and who we were born to and what our life circumstances were, or is it absolute and just everyone who lives in a major city is screwed?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Mike sure, this has been one of my absolute favorite episodes.
1: Profound conversation. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. This is really fun. Thank you. What a fantastic conversation. Uh, There's so many levels, such complexity to these issues.
2: And yet also something so simple that is really, it's like sticking with me, which is what does it mean to be good? It means trying to be good. That's it. Yeah.
1: So it's intent. That's it. Yeah. Just try. It's intent. I intend to be good. I I may fail and I may fuck up, but I'm intending to be good.
2: Keep trying. Keep trying. Um, so you know he he brought up, of course, the trolley problem, which is one of my ap- favorite episodes um, yeah. on the show. But you know, back in 2015, McSweeney's, the great um, magazine uh, founded by my friend Dave Eggers, yeah, I'm just throwing out names, name dropper. Um, he ran this very funny list of lesser-known trolley problems. Really, and I, and I thought I would uh, I would ask them to you and give them a shot. Oh, okay, good. I'll, it, I'll, I'll
1: let I will dig in. I love it. Okay, I think I got this figured out,
2: first one, yeah, the time traveler. there's an out of control trolley speeding towards a worker. You have the ability to pull a lever and change the trolley's path so it hits a different worker, right? I mean, it's okay, pretty basic. It's just that the different worker is actually the first worker ten minutes from now
1: um I would hit the uh I would hit the older of the two workers. Give him 10 more minutes of life. Well, they've had had that extra 10 minutes. They've had
2: that shot. I like that. Okay. The suicide note. Okay. Out of control trolley. This one is speeding towards a worker. You have the ability to pull a lever and change the trolley's path so it hits a different worker. But here's the thing. The first worker has an intended suicide note in his back pocket, but it's in the handwriting of the second worker. And the second worker is wearing a T-shirt that says, please hit me with the trolley. But the shirt is borrowed from the first worker.
1: Um, they both want to die, so I would run, I would hit the first worker, jump out of the trolley, and strangle the second one. Strangle the second one.
2: That's exactly the right answer. Okay, here's one. There's an out-of-control trolley speeding towards two workers. They're both massive dicks. Okay. You have the ability to pull a lever and change the trolley's path so it just hits one worker, but he's an even bigger dick. So, two massive dicks, Mm. or one gigantic dick. I would I would hit the two
1: I would hit the two dicks because uh, overpopulation.
2: Well, I know for a fact that a lot of listeners felt very much the same way about this topic that I did. I was definitely moved by Mike Shore's idea about like what it means to be a good person and and a lot of you out there uh, had a lot to say about this. We got a lot of voicemails. Uh, why don't we start with one? This is Tony. I believe that you're a good person if the amount of positive energy you put out into the world outweighs the amount of negative energy that you put out into the world. And I know that sounds very hippie-like and mystical, but um, I think that's really what it boils down to, you know? Um, do you build people up or do you knock people down? You know, if it's too hard for you to build other people up, probably not a good person. That's just my philosophy. Quick and to the point, my friend. Very nice, Tony. Actually, you know, uh, this is an ancient Zoroastrian uh, concept. Uh, Zoroastrians believe that, you know, there's a scale, and on one side of the scale is your good words, good thoughts, good deeds, and on the other side of the scale is your bad words, bad thoughts, bad deeds, and if the good outweighs the bad, then you're a good person and you get paradise, and if the bad outweighs the good, then you don't. Uh, You know, it's kind of as simple as that, yeah.
3: I believe 1,000%. This is my end all be all in the golden rule. That is my religion, if you could call it that. Um, because you can find that in every religion. Do unto others as you would have them do unto, unto you. And and I think that that's the end. Actually, wow. I didn't even need 90 seconds. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's it's karma. You know, put out what you want to get back. And that is so absurdly important and just in everyday life and especially in the world that we live in right now.
1: A golden rule, great, a great way to go. It has been there since the dawn of time. It's in every single religion. It's actually yep. really fun to play a game with kids where you find the golden rule in every faith tradition, even like Native American traditions, and you scramble them up and put them in a hat and draw them out and try and guess which religion it comes from. Uh, it's pretty Ooh. universal, and the the great writer and thinker Karen Armstrong has uh recently uh, come up with this uh, Charter for Compassion, and the Golden Rule is at the center of that, and it's um it's a it's an international charter that she wants people of all different religious faiths to sign on to, and it uh is to deepen ever deepen our compassion, and the Golden Rule is kind of the bridge that one walks across to get there. Now I will say that. Baha'is do it better. Baha'is have one-upped the golden rule. You know how that is, Reza? What, what's that? For Baha'is is do unto others better than you would have them do unto oh, you. Oh, you guys
2: gotta one-up everybody, don't you? Boom,
1: Baha'i mic drop. <laughs> so suck it, Michaela. Uh,
2: well, you know, Islam has something similar too, and it's whatever you are, we're better. So it's the it's almost the same thing as yeah, the
1: golden rule. It's not quite how it works. But thanks for your call. Thanks for your questions. Uh, these, this has been truly delightful.
3: I think that being a good person means to be loving and caring towards other people. There are a lot of people that will always be ready to tell you something that you're doing wrong and, you know, kind of... There, there's always going to be people that are ready to belittle you, but it's people that are kind to each other and that show respect for one another that makes a difference in someone's day.
2: You know, this is like the founding philosophy of my wife, Jessica Jackley, who is the best person I know. But she just says the same thing over and over again. Be kind, be kind, be kind. That's it. That's it. Just be kind. It's all you got to do. Everything else will work itself out. I would just add one thing, and I would add the word rewind. You're showing how old you are, man. You know how to find us. We're on socials at Reza Aslan, at Rain Wilson. The show is on Twitter, at Metamilk Podcast. It's on Instagram at Metaphysical Milkshake. And tell us, what would you do with that trolley? Or better yet, give us your best trolley problem.
1: And remember to follow, rate, and review Metaphysical milkshake on Apple Podcasts. Please write the little review. Just take take a few seconds. If you like the show, it helps us a great deal.
2: Thank you to our guest, the fantastic Mike Shore. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> Mike Shore.
2: <laughs> See you all next time. Thank you.
1: Metaphysical Milkshake is executive produced by Rain Wilson, Reza Aslan, Golries Lucina, and Dariush Buzuela Nothaft of Soul Pancake. Hashem Self is the head of production. Metaphysical Milkshake is produced by Amy S. Choi and Rebecca Lehrer of the Mashup Americans. Associate producers are Jocelyn Gonzalez, Lindsay Cradwell, Sarah Pellegrini, Mary Phillips Sandy, and Shelby Sandlin. Original music by Jeff Tang and Scott Tang. So I guess my question for you, we really want to, you know, metaphysical milkshake, we dive into some some really uh, intense metaphysical concepts, philosophical ideas, spiritual ideas, psychological truths, etc. But since we started on The Office, why have you not given me a single fucking job on any of your other goddamn shows? Yeah.
3: Well, Rain, uh, I think one reason might be the anger you just flashed. <laughs> and asking me that question. <laughs> wow. Okay.
1: All right. I'm All so right. glad somebody else we is were here cousins. to know about this. You were Moe's. We were on a beet farm together.